I don't want to work 90 hour weeks. I just don't, that's not, that doesn't sound like a good life to me. And uh, the only way that I can accomplish that is by running a, a good tight business. Welcome to Choosing to Farm, a podcast for first and returning generation livestock farmers and ranchers to share their stories, find connection, and provide insight into the life of farmers who didn't take the traditional path. I'm your host, Jen Colby. folks, this is Jen. Um, thank you so much for joining us again on Choosing to Farm. Uh, if you like the show, please share it with your friends. It's easy to do from your podcatcher by forwarding. Or if you're on your computer, you can visit choosingtofarm.com and it is easy to forward or cut and paste right from there. So if you take a moment to leave a review, it, re- it raises our visibility in search engines and it puts the podcast in front of more eyes, which is awesome. And it catches more ears, which we want that. We love that. Um, So I know as farmers and ranchers, your time is super precious and you're not always in by your desk. So any way that you can forward it is um, if you take that, if you're able to take the time to share it around, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Um, This week's episode is um, a conversation with Ashlyn Bristol and Abraham McClurg of Rebop Farm. And it felt a whole bunch like sitting down with a cup of tea and some old friends, even though I don't know if we've actually ever been in the same place at the same time, maybe for a minute, but not to have a conversation. So both of them came to Vermont from completely different places. They both have art backgrounds, which is really interesting. They've, they've grown their business really quite rapidly in the last few years. Um, they've already been struggling and, and working on farmer burnout, COVID burnout, how to find ways to rest, you know, how to be a couple running their business together. So there's a lot in here. So I hope you enjoy and I'll let Abraham take it away. I'm Abraham McClurg, and well, I'm Ashley and you're Bristol, Ashley Bristol, but and we are co-owners, operators, farmers at Rebot Farm in Brattleboro, Vermont, and we run a diversified livestock operation that includes raw cow milk and a variety of meats. Uh, currently, beef rose veal, lamb, pork, chicken, and turkey. Wow, he got them all. I always miss one. (laughs) And we also do some fruit and veg, but a very small scale and for specific value-added sort of products. And we've done honey and maple syrup. Yeah. So we're taking a break this year. Um, we've been selling bulk sap for the last couple of years. Um, and we hit, a, I call it my COVID burnout. Um, mm-hmm. Just two years of farming so hard and feeling like we were always scaling. So this year we're taking a break from sap, but we do expect to go back to it. Um, and this is also the year of peeling off multiple enterprises. So we used 
to do honey for the business and we've moved it to, it's just a, a hobby piece now. Um, other parts of the garden, very, we pulled off some meat enterprises. So the list has changed so much that it's kind of hard to um, to accurately describe it without really racking my brain about what, what I put in the business plan this year. Um, and I'm Ashlyn Bristol, which I think Abraham made sure to include me early in that in our spiel, but um, we've, I've been farming for about 12, 13 years now. Abraham uh, joined me about eight years ago, about eight years ago. Um, not originally from Vermont. I'm from North Carolina, um, from Western North Carolina. Um, and Abraham's also not from Vermont. Um, from- so I grew up in Washington state yeah. in Seattle and up near Mount Baker on a farm when I was very young and didn't have to do any farm work. <laughs> so I think that sort of is a, a comprehensive, like it, it that's a, a good, um, I don't know, it covers the basics of our farm. We're also on a, on a wild, uh, wildly steep hill farm. So that I think is pretty core to the identity of the kind of farming that we do and, and our farm. It's just, it's a, a hard farming space um, and it really informs how we do any of the enterprises. So many directions. Um, so how did, so if you, if neither of you grew up in Vermont and neither of you really grew up farming. So Abraham, you said not really old enough to be actively farming when you were on a farm. So what, what was it that one brought you to farming and two brought you to Vermont of all places since neither of you were from here? Yeah. Um, well, I, so I grew up, like I said, in Western North Carolina and, um, I had a sort of intense and rocky childhood. I'm, I'm an orphan. I'm like, um, also adopted. And, um, I grew up with a very, um, strict religious family that had really strong ideas about, um, not going into blue collar work and also like what was an appropriate kind of work for women to do. Um, and so that eventually led me to, I went to school to be a teacher and because I always loved tactile work and making things, I ended up going into um, K-12 art education was gonna be the path that I went on because I, I'm a maker at heart. I really love to constantly be producing things um, and then when I went to college and I was looking for, for jobs on the side and like in my summers, I was so drawn to, to farming and to sort of like generative production as opposed to sort of creative production, um, like working for somebody else and always having a product at the end of that process, I discovered was like what I really, really wanted to be doing, not just making things and helping other people make things like that's a beautiful place to be and I really love education too but um so I was working on farms and then I graduated from college just as the 2008 financial downturn began and in North Carolina um they're very quick to cut teaching jobs particularly non-core subject teaching jobs so I went from having really great job prospects where there was a huge teacher shortage and in any subject that you wanted to teach you could grab a job in that state too. Oh my God, I'm, I'm competing with people with master's degrees and board certification and for like poverty wages, maybe I need to do something else for a little while. So 
it broadened my um, the pool of the kind of jobs that I was looking for. So I went into experiential education. I came up to Vermont and worked at Farm and Wilderness um, for the first for the first summer. Uh, working in the teenage art program and as like a cabin counselor and then was like, oh, maybe I could join the farm crew here. I've really, I've been milking. I've been doing all of these things on farms down in North Carolina. It could be such a good fit and I love it up here. I had no idea um, having had a pretty small world before that. Like I had, you know, I hadn't been North of the Mason Dixon line uh, before I drove to Vermont to take that job yeah, it just like cracked my world open in a, in a really beautiful way. And I fell in love with the landscape here, the kind of farming here, um, that the landscape in much of the state really necessitates, like dictates that farms are going to be small. And then looked into like the policy around support for small farms compared to North Carolina, which is, um, I think much more agribusiness driven in many ways, huge amount of hog farming and poultry farming, mostly indoors. Um, especially out past the Piedmont and said, oh, this is what I want to do. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. I have no idea how I'm going to fund any of it, but I'm completely in love with this act of producing things and connecting with community in a really meaningful way. And, um, and I moved up here uh, shortly after I, I worked for the year at Farm and Wilderness and then started in very small ways trying to start what would look like a, a farm that would support me as a job. Um, How did you even find Farm and Wilderness? I'm curious. I think it was word of mouth. Um, I, I had some neighbors that were friends that were from Vermont originally, and one of their sisters had worked at a cook, as a cook at Farm and Wilderness. And uh, when I was thinking about what I was going to do, I was looking at lots of different like farm camps and like art teaching positions on those camps. And then it just, all the dominoes were set up just right. <laughs> um, and then Abraham came in the picture, into my picture a couple of years later. Do you wanna, do you wanna tell that story or do you want me to keep going? As you wish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I came up, I was farming with a different partner, we broke up, and then I met Abraham. Uh, we have a different story for how we met each of us. We slightly disagree about when we met. My story is that I asked Abraham to dance at a um, country dance in Amherst, Massachusetts one night, and then I saw him the next night at a dance in Boston, and he danced with me, and then we just never stopped dancing together. Aww. But he says that we met in Amherst. I say that we really met in Boston. So we're both right. We're both right. <laughs> I love that you met dancing. That's wonderful. We used to be more social <laughs> before dancing and singing became a thing that people don't really do right now, or for a couple of years haven't done. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Abraham came in to the picture, I guess, in 2013, 2014, um, and hadn't really had any farming experience, but had lots of experience doing other things that we found have been very, very beneficial to our business, um, like bookkeeping, like like um, the nonprofit management that you've done in the past. Um, where he worked 
Well, I want I want you to tell this. So okay. I'm going to back up and have you do it. Let's hear your story. Okay. Um, how I got to Vermont. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, let's see. It's a long and convoluted story. <laughs> Just like mine was. Like, how did that happen? Um, I grew up on like a back to the land hippie farm, but my parents were from back east, which at that point meant Michigan. Because um, back east, when you're in Washington state is a lot of places. Um, so I grew up on a farm with like cow-calf operation and sawmill operation and really serious homesteading operation but I just got to run around and have fun there and never had to do chores or be old enough to actually understand what was happening. Uh, and then I moved to Seattle and had all the benefits of being in a city and the sociability and education and a lot of options for everything. Um, <laughs> and went to culinary school immediately out of high school and cooked for a number of years. And that was what I knew I wanted to do until my back hurt so much that I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. And then I also went to art school and that transitioned into nonprofit arts administration and a lot of travel and uh, I think in the nonprofit arts realm, I ended up doing a fair amount of like logistics and operations and finance and bookkeeping and things that were relatively practical for running a business that in that world was a nonprofit business and then works really well in farming, which is a not very much profit business. Um, at least it can be. <laughs> and then I lived in San Francisco and Chicago and downstate Illinois and had a like relationship that came to end there and was trying to figure out the next place to be that wasn't where I was. And I had been in New England once and I'd spent time like in North, North Carolina and I'd spent time in Colorado. And so I just decided I was gonna drive to all those places and see what I found and see where I connected and where I might fit in. And a big piece of that travel was dancing. Mm. So that was how I ended up in Amherst and in Boston dancing on those fateful evenings. Never heard you describe it as fateful. In 2013. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and as Ashlyn and I got to know each other, I spent time with her at the place where she was farming. Mm -hmm. And that and me carrying buckets of water because she didn't like to do it. And I wanted to be useful. And, you know, milking cows together and mostly just trying to be useful and spend time with her. 
And if I could do the things that she didn't like to do, then I figured that was a plus. Then that you might get to stick around a little bit right. longer. Yeah. Um, and that transitioned into us having a very, very small farming situation operation together. Operation feels like a big word for what it was. Um, that slowly grew until we were able to buy land as so we rented, we rented land, we rented pasture, and we had some pretty serious limitations in those first couple of years about how we could sell. Um, our, our landlord at the time really didn't want a lot of the public coming onto the land. And because we were selling raw milk, um, there were some limitations there just because we couldn't, we couldn't take it anywhere else to sell it. Um, yeah. And limitations about how much land disturbance there could be, how many pigs there could be, everything had to be run through sort of and, and triangulated with this other person that um, wasn't very interested in a commercial farming operation happening on that land. Um, so we kind of had to build skills um, slowly and wait for the right opportunity to have access to a different, a different living situation and a different piece of land, which came which which eventually did come. Um, I think that we maybe skipped way out ahead of your question, though. No, this is lovely. Thank you. Um, I would love to get a sense. Um, you both have lived a bunch of life before you came to farming. And what do you feel like you're bringing into your farming your farming life, but your farming business, all of it, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always feel like this is that that zigzag path. I don't know if you've ever read Range, um, but uh, but it's so much about the things that we pick up along the way, and as generalists, like how powerful we can be. And I, I'm just kind of curious, what do you bring from your old lives into this? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. Um, and funny too, because I often describe all of my 20s as learning how to farm and Abraham's time before as like building equity in a house and having all these other experiences that really informed a lot of our farm business. Um, but I, I don't often think about the other pieces pre my farming that I, that, that are informing as well. Like I worked a bunch of other jobs while we were starting the farm. Um, so like I brought my classroom management, which in some ways has been really helpful in managing our employees. Um, I'm, you know, I develop a bunch of workshops, um, because of my education background, I can think through pedagogy really well and think about building ideas so that it's not so overwhelming. People can go from no chemistry information to understanding like electrical charge in a milk vat when they're making cheese. Um, yeah, and, and the jobs that I worked were mostly like in a pickle factory and in a um, yarn shop, or not a yarn shop, but yarn, spinnery. a spinnery. There we go. <laughs> Thanks. Um, in a spinnery, uh, in an apple orchard. And so all of those were like learning how to operate in a system, watching how other people create systems um, and, and deal with um, the logistics of production. And I think now that's made me a pretty strong systems thinker. So I'm, I'm good at being strategic. I'm good at looking at the entire large moving sort of juggernaut of the farm and identifying where it's not working. Um, 
and and end up, and breaking that system apart into pieces that we can understand so that like we can make an SOP when it's not working or whatever whatever that is I think being like pushing myself to glean everything I can from every situation that I was in outside of the farm was incredibly useful in me now being a better manager of our farm and strategic thinker and the education piece is great the art piece was great too like I I now can create a place where people feel really like welcome and warm when they come to the farm because I'm thinking about the aesthetics. So I think all of it was really beneficial, even if it was um, not a direct line. <laughs> if it didn't all, you know, very actively flow into this one thing that now creates my career. Um, I yeah, it's it's to our benefit, not it's not a detriment, which I think is what you said. But it, it is nice to think about it that way. And same for you, I think. I didn't want to jump to the conclusion that it was a benefit, not a detriment. But <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't lead the question that way. <laughs> the question is: Is it a benefit? But I, yeah, I I think that that framing is really helpful because sometimes it's been um, it's made it more difficult to access the things that I needed. Like when I was looking for farm experience, like when I first moved up here and. I had milking experience and I had animal experience, but I really wanted to work on a vegetable or fruit farm. I wanted to understand some of the production practices there because I wasn't sure what shape our business was going to take. And I kept getting turned away over and over and over again because I didn't have experience. Um, and I, yeah, I'm a really strong worker. I, I work very hard. I'm very good at organizing myself and my time. And so, um, you know, they're lost, but also I, because you know, I was sending in a resume that, that had, you know, art school and then like a couple of years milking at different places, but nothing with production veg or fruit. Um, there was a, a, like, this isn't cohesive enough and I'm not going to hire you. Um, or at least that's the feedback that I was getting. And so I think I have heard in, in the process of, of moving through, um, technical skills gathering and then, um, you know, trying to get financing for the farm, trying to work with different organizations to, to believe in us as farmers, to believe in us as professionals, that it, it, it can be detrimental. And you also, I think, hear a lot that it's detrimental, but I am so much stronger as a farmer and a business person because of having um, a different background. I think it like, it would have been great going in if I'd had a degree in um, plant and soil science really helped a lot, but I have gotten to that same place where I'm proficient while also having this background that allows me to easily create workshops that I can charge money for that are not like necessarily related to my land base or acreage. You know, um, I feel really comfortable in creating like, uh, the brand for our farm, because I, I'm conversant in, um, in aesthetics and I can talk to a designer that we're working with and sort of know what questions they're gonna ask. So I can like shorten up the process, I can make it easier on both of us and I can end up paying less money for that kind of thing. Like, I think that that's all really beneficial and it's important. I can't, I can't change that that's the path that I took, but I, I really think it can become a cohesive, part of making me the, the best professional that I am at this stage in my career. If I really, I don't know, 
try to draw on each of each of those experiences as a strength rather than just sort of like bemoan four years wasted uh, getting a degree when I was in my early 20s. Anyway, I think I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> I'd love to hear about your experience. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> Fair. That's totally fair. And I asked you like a four part question, so it's not fair to you either. Um, yeah, so so have you or how have you used your background in the farm, both getting it started, the, you know, the running of the business? Um, what pieces have you brought forward into this new life from other parts of your lives? Um, I think one of the important things is that I've always done service work so like in food service and uh, the work I was doing in arts after that was still in service to artists and trying to support the work that other people were doing and um, sort of allow their value to be seen by the world um, and providing services that they weren't capable or able to provide for themselves. Um, I had a small brokerage, real estate brokerage in Chicago with uh, my business partner. And we worked with artists and musicians and creative folks and um, cooperative housing folks that were looking for things that didn't really fit a standard mold in real estate. And also creatives that were really good at what they did, but they didn't necessarily fit into uh, a system that made it easy for them to understand the legalities and finances of buying and selling property or homes. Um, and so it's like a wide variety of service work that's like face-to-face -face human interaction and trying to help people achieve goals that they might struggle to get to just on their own two feet. Um, so in terms of what we do today, a lot of that is customer service and we have a farm store here. So we have a lot of face-to-face -face and like one-to-one -one customer interaction. And I think I really thrive on making people happy and getting them what they are looking for. Mm -hmm. And it's those relationships and like that community that we engage with that is certainly really satisfying for me. Um, yeah, and I, that's really interesting to me because that's, I love the community aspect, but I would not, I don't thrive on that one-to-one. -one. And there have been times in the last five years where I've said, oh, I really wish that we were just shipping into a commodity market in some way, because the thing that brings me joy is like, is, is not that at all. And that part of our business has really flourished. Like I, I thrive on the relationship with the land. I thrive on like creating really tight systems that work well. Um, that's what brings me satisfaction at the end of the day. 
and and the relationship with the animals to a certain extent but the longer we do it the more it, it shifts towards the land yeah and i think that our business would not have been successful if we didn't each have those very disparate um both like areas that give us pleasure and focus like those those areas of focus yeah. And I don't think either of us realized that when we first started, like we all, I think many people when they start a farm together are like way overlapping and you, you kind of, and like tangled up in each other and sort of interested in the same pieces. And you have sort of a uncomplicated view of what it means to run a farm. And then slowly you kind of have to untangle in order to <laughs> to make it work together to not be on top of each other all the time to not have constant friction and to 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 cover all the places that need to be covered to actually run a business that will support you um and make you enough money to live like you you can't both be doing the same thing at the same time yeah how do you guys handle that i mean how do you how do you handle the roles part? It sounds like you've separate, sort of naturally separated out the things that you like to do better than other things. But how do you work that out as your relationship while you're in business together, mm-hmm. <laughs> while you're partnered? Like, how, how do you each get your together time that's not farm time or do you? Like, how do you handle all of that, the, the personal side as well as the business side? I, I think that's one of the trickiest questions um, that couples that farm together have to face. Um, it just puts so much stress and pressure on the relationship. And I think um, our, Abby said this really well a couple years ago, a couple years ago to me, and it's really stuck with me um, that farming won't just take everything that you'll let it, it'll take everything in your life. And you kind of have to, you have to create these like seawalls to hold it back so that you get to be a person that also has like romantic relationships and friendships and um, hobbies that are not just the farm. Um, and so I think in, in the process, I think I described the early part of it where we came in and we were uh, entangled in each other and kind of had to have lots and lots of um, building of our relationship where we learned how to communicate in in business speak and then, you know, turn that off and let our emotions be turned back on, not necessarily at the end of the day, but like make, make very strong, um, make a separation between that part of ourselves that is business partners and that part of ourselves that is, you know, we're roommates and friends and we're married. Uh, we're, you know, romantic partners, all those things have to have space that are outside of I'm right now, you know, whatever it's a calving emergency and I need to be able to tell you X, Y, Z. And right now I am in charge because I'm the production manager and I need you just to like do what I'm asking. It's not the space to like, for us to bicker back and forth. We're really clear about who's in charge in that space versus whatever other space that we're in that might be yours like the the store or the you know <laughs> laughing because like, yeah name a space that where i'm in charge go ahead <laughs> well you're you're the you're the um actually in charge of a lot of things um but i am very verbal so, so i think that's one piece of it i also think very verbal is um another word for outspoken i think too <laughs> outspoken is another word for 
<laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I was waiting. <laughs> You're waiting for me to come up with another nice euphemism for I have big emotions and big, uh, big opinions about lots of what we do. Um, I think that the other pieces that we've worked on our decision-making process so that we are really giving each other um, both space to make decisions and um, valuing each other's perspectives more. I think that that that's a hard piece where I don't, I don't know many couples that start farming that have that at the beginning, like also a, a well-delineated uh, process of decision-making. So, and I think we've been developing that a lot over the last couple of years because our farm grew so much in response to COVID that we had to make big capital investment decisions more on the fly than we ever have, like not, not in our yearly planning, but like every couple of months and in the growing season and um, so finding ways for us to be okay with that, each of us to be okay with that um, and to think through all the implications and come to an agreement together. I think we've gotten much better at that over the last couple of years, particularly. So I just said a lot of words. What do you have to add to that? I keep forgetting <laughs> what started the question, like what, what started the, whatever you just said yeah, by we, the time we get to the end of it. We get a little lost in my... Um, Yes. Yeah, and my answer. Yeah. <laughs> I am loving this conversation, but I wanted to take a quick break to thank our underwriter for this episode, the New England Grazing Network. The New England Grazing Network is funded by the Cedar Tree Foundation with the goal of gathering and growing more regenerative grazing farms across the six New England states to address the challenges and adapt to climate change. The New England Grazing Network partners offer education, technical assistance, events, regional coordination, and camaraderie for grazers to help you graze better. Visit newenglandgrazingnetwork.com to learn more about our work and meet the partners waiting to help you. So how do you manage, sort of your, from your perspective, how do you manage being married to, or, you know, being married to your farm partner or being partners with your marriage partner um and do you, do you do things yourselves that are out off the farm that's the other side of it I always want to ask folks is are you always just here at the farm together we are quite a bit and the last two and a half however in in COVID era um Ashlyn I think went to the grocery store once in yeah. like a 12-month period oh. And so I've had a lot of, a lot more time off farm and Ashlyn really hasn't been off farm very much. Yeah, except for the learning cohorts, like the the co-learning things with other farmers that NOFA has run or through DGA. Um, we just, yeah, I, this doesn't really matter, but my immune system seems to be a little weaker than Abraham's. And so we just sort of made like a strategic choice that, um, it seemed like of the two of us, you were dealing better with like being out and about. Um, but pre pre COVID, we we used to go dancing on a regular basis um, in Brattleboro or Greenfield, and um, like folk dancing and folk singing, and to the pub sing in Brattleboro. Um, and now, yeah, it, it it sort of changed the dynamic a little bit um, to to not be able to go do those regular things. Occasionally we go for walks, we do crosswords at home, but it's definitely shifted a lot more towards home life and trying to 
maintain that boundary of we're not working right now is a little harder in those contexts. Yeah. But I think that we have adopted routines and patterns in our days and weeks where we try to schedule out the week at the beginning of the week so that we have a rough plan for each day and the intention that when the workday ends that it actually ends and I have a harder time stopping sometimes than Ashland does um, but that we set aside time so when it's not work time anymore it's it just isn't and then it's time to have dinner and relax and watch a show or read a book or do some exercise or like spend time that is specifically not work time mm -hmm. um, and using a calendar or like a weekly planner to block out when is work time and what projects are going to happen during those times. Um, yeah, but it does take a lot of intentionality. Um, and I, I do think we've been going through like, I've, I've been farming for maybe five more years than you. And I think I was in a period of burnout. I hit my period of, I'm a new farmer. I've been giving it my all. I'm not doing a good job of balancing things. And um, I'm deeply burned out maybe three years before you started hitting burnout. And so I got more ruthless about saying we're done when we're done. Systems have to be good enough that they provide us space in our lives to be whole people again. I don't want to I don't want to work 90 hour weeks. I just don't, that's not, that doesn't sound like a good life to me. And uh, the only way that I can accomplish that is by running a, a good tight business. So like those go hand in hand, like being able to spend time with my partner and be like, not so tired that I'm just falling over that I could talk about our day or we can heaven forbid, go on a date or like <laughs> do something fun at home or read a book together or whatever it is that like, keeps our bond strong so that we can keep doing this work together. Um, yeah, it, it has to be hand in hand with running a profitable, profitable business. And the more burned out and tired I get, the more that feels urgent. Like I, I, I cannot keep doing this if it isn't um, allowing me that. If it isn't allowing me a life that's worth living, I don't want to do this. Um, and it has become more and more a pet peeve when I hear people talk about the the lifestyle of farming, because the lifestyle of farming is like not that appealing when you're a decade in, um, if you haven't also learned how to be a good business person. Like maybe you work for a nonprofit and and you don't have to be as like on it, but if if you are the vast majority of farmers, it's just, it's not enough uh, to be outside, to be moving to work with animals because it is also like physically demanding and exhausting and hard and, you know, hot and painful. And it's, it's not worth it if you don't also get to be around people that you love and do the things that you enjoy and have the, the mental space to do that. That's my, my yeah. Do, do you think that that it, do you think that that burnout has like a predictable sort of arc to it? I mean, that sort of, yeah. Do you say it was about 10 years? Um, are you, I mean, Abraham, are you also hitting 
burnout phase or your pre-burnout? <laughs> it's been like eight or nine years for me. I feel like I last the last year I was feeling more mm-hmm. yeah. Last year, by the time we got to the end of the growing season, I was feeling really not done, just overcooked. <laughs> you were some soggy pasta by the end. <laughs> and Ashlyn, like every winter, Ashlyn will tell me, like in December, this is the slow time. This is when you rest. This is when you read books. This is when you self care. This is like mm-hmm. stop working. This is the resting time. And it's really hard for me. And it has been really hard for me to slow down or to take the time when there is some time available. Oftentimes in winter, I think, oh, there's so much more time to get projects done. Mm-hmm. And then I, I squander my opportunity to rest and then the growing season starts again. And then I'm stuck in it for another year mm-hmm. before I have a chance to breathe. And so I think the last two years in the winters, I've done a much better job of taking advantage of that opportunity in that time mm-hmm. and felt so much better for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that sort of relates to the idea of farming with your partner um, because we, I describe our brains as being polar opposites. Like I am just very regimented in my brain. I'm very, I, um, I categorize things easily. I've just got a really organized mind, uh, for better or worse. Like it also like holds me back from creative thinking sometimes. And Abraham's, you, you look like you have, I comments. disagree. Well, I I'm good <laughs> at being creative, but I also like, um, I struggle to see things from different perspectives. So I've got a really strong sense of my own perspective and creativity within that lane. And Abraham has got a much less organized sort of more free form brain. And I think it's a little easier for him to switch perspectives on things. And yeah, just the way that we think about things is so vastly different. And so our experience of burnout was really different. The way that we got there, the way that I saw a really clear solution of like, all right, we just have to make everything better and faster and take less labor and take less time. And also like, you know, just be a little more on it. And then in December it's rest time. And then when it's this time we rest and for Abraham, that's just not how your brain works. It's not how rest is going to happen for you. And so for us to like actually agree on what that looked like and agree on how we were going to get there as a partner and as a farm working together was, it took a little bit of time. And so I think it's like a combination of the two now where when there's opportunities to really rest, to work a 35 hour week, we need to do it. Um, And we need to make our systems better. But also sometimes that looks like for you, like puttering and like finishing projects that are hanging because for you, that's rest. For me, that's not rest. So honoring each other's experience when it's pretty different. We're experiencing the world in a very different way. We are. I would also say that you are like an idea machine. (laughs) I call it the idea canon. Sometimes it's like getting battered by ideas, being in farm meetings with me. But it's not just in farm meetings. It's any time, like if we go for a walk or we're in the middle of chores or like at any point in time, you could be like, wait, I just had an idea. (laughs) and then you have like this whole new like way of seeing what 
something could be or how animal housing could do could be or how like a new system could be for the pet bed or like moving manure or feeding or hay storage mm -hmm. or like anything like i think you you see a lot more potential in like everything that you see yeah and so like every time we walk down the driveway you're looking at fruit trees thinking about which specific cuts you're going to make when it's pruning season on each tree and holding that information in your head so that you can do it later but it, there's always room for it to move or transition or like you'll see it in a different way the next time you walk by and you're like no actually i think this is the branch that's going to come off and it'll make room for this other thing to come in in, in its place yeah but I those think, are all created in systems that exist so it's all systems tweaking i think but i appreciate sure. that <laughs> but you do that and i look at like half the things that you say my first thought is well that sounds like change uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, <laughs> That's scary. That sounds like more work or mm -hmm. more money or something that's different than I'm used to. And I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I think that that's really vital though, because again, there's like, we, we're approaching things so differently. I tend to be the gas. I'm like, go, go, go. There's the future. Let's go. Let's gross a million dollars on the farm and see what it looks like. And you're the brakes. It's like, we need to slow down. This needs to be measured. We need to look at all of the possibilities. We need to do all of the comparison shopping. We need to think about every way that this could affect our lives before we go for it. And that's, that balance is really necessary. And we're both pretty far on the edge. So I think if we were in different partnerships, trying to do this with different people that were somewhere else, like we'd find a balance, but it's really useful for our business to have somebody that's like the future <laughs> me and someone else to be like, stick in the mud. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a word. <laughs> I was thinking just like you need a, a brake pedal or Pump you're going to end up in a crash <laughs> at the bottom of the hill. And that's not good either. Like my, my tendency to push forward is part of that intense burnout. Like getting there is hard, but getting there sustainably, getting there like in a measured way is also really important. So I think that we both, I don't know, have contributed in a really necessary way to getting the business to a place where it can keep growing, but not to a place that's killing us or where our systems are always in flux because that's a hard place to be. Mm -hmm. I've just I've related to that. It's really, it's really, you're prompting me to think about um, the concept of a, of a leader or a manager or an entrepreneur and a manager. And it's like, we need that creative energy to just get, get going in a direction. And then there's some point, there's some time where there needs to be a switch over to a manager to really manage the day-to-day -day and to figure out how to get from here to there and and um, to make sure that, you know, <laughs> maybe not make sure, but to balance that, that reaching out and that slowing back. And um, I used to work for an organic dairy company that was founded by some very entrepreneurial folks. And uh, they ended up selling the company because they just weren't they didn't manage, they weren't managers. They just wasn't who they were. And um, they were amazing entrepreneurs, but um, they just never made that switch. And that's like actually a deep rooted fear that I have in my own businesses. I'm the entrepreneur, so, and I don't have the manager. I have to be that person too. So I always, yeah, I just have to think about that. 
personally? Like, how do I balance that and find better systems? Totally. Yeah. And I, I, I have that struggle too. I don't know if you have this, but I get a little bit bored once a system is set and it's just the same there. Like you always want to tweak it or make it a little bit better. Um, and I think that you're more of like the steady, like I can do it every day. I like, I like it when it's the same. I like it when it's yeah. And I think I could drive our employees absolutely banana pancakes, like with all the, like, okay, I updated the feed sheet. Okay. Like it's a little different now. And I think this is a little bit better. Just like, let me do my job. I think is <laughs> how it feels. Um, and so, yeah, having, having that person that's happy managing, I think I hadn't thought about it quite in that context, but just let me keep coming up with new ideas. As long as I <laughs> so how do you test whether, you know, if you're going, maybe not like tweaking the feed sheet, but like, if you're like, we should do this, you know, <laughs> I came in for my walk and we should totally do this like yak business. Uh, <laughs> and then I say, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is the process that, that, that you go through where you just, where you evaluate whether a new, because clearly you have gone in new directions. And as you stated at the beginning of our conversation, you're refining down with some things. So how do you actually decide between you things that you are going to take on or things that you're not going to do anymore? Yeah. Uh, well, the not, not going to do anymore is easier now because <laughs> if it doesn't make money, we don't do it anymore. That's, that's the, the hard and fast rule. Um, for some things that we're really attached to, we give it a little bit of time to see if we can make it better before we get rid of it. So like uh, the sheep, we have gone undergone like a huge change in the last couple of years where we realized that when we factored in our labor on our wild hill farm underneath power lines that is full of invasives, just the labor was making it way too expensive. Like the cost per pound, we could not ask that in the market. It wasn't gonna sell. and. So we decided to be really, um, I'm trying to find the right word that isn't like a violent sounding word, not brutal, not cutthroat, but like just um, very cut and dry about what, where we needed to get to. And if we couldn't get to those benchmarks, then we had to cut it out. So like we got a handling system because our labor in hoof trimming and uh, doing like regular herd checks and famacha was just too much like it was taking it was really hard on our knees and our backs and our shoulders and so we were like okay if we can cut labor by this amount of time then it makes sense for us to get a handling system so we're gonna do it um we've always been pretty set on being organic practice we're not certified organic but most of our practices particularly with ruminants have been um organic practice and we shifted to an accelerated lambing program um, which did require the use in use of, um, of a cedar um, in order to sink the, sink the group. And it's really increased our fertility and looking like that extra fertility per you, even with the adjusted um, feed intake is going to get us to that goal place. Like we still have one more year within that system to start seeing the lamb crops come in and to see if, it, if it's actually driving that COP down. Um, but yeah, once, if, if things aren't making money, then we have to stop doing them. Our business has to cash flow. Um, 
but then we also have started modeling things out um, for big projects. So we're in a long-term planning cohort right now that that NOFA Vermont has created, um, and it really pushed me a little further in my creation of spreadsheets before before we engage in something new. Um, so like right now I'm modeling out a milk room expansion uh, so that we can be a grade A dairy and sell some of our milk to have it processed without putting in a processing facility ourselves um, into like gelato and yogurt, like very limited processing. Um, and so I created a spreadsheet or a workbook that I can input all of like our production numbers and see like if depending on which channel, which sales channel I direct our milk at different production levels, how much money we'll make. Um, and that's been the primary decider, like, can I pay for that? And then I'll have better market penetration later. If I can sell off the farm, you know, I'll reduce our potential risk uh, as a raw milk producer. I always have that in the back of my mind, even when we're being very safe and very careful, getting our milk tested, having really high quality standards. There's always that little added, it's just a slightly riskier product than something that's pasteurized. And so I, you know, the idea of removing a little bit of the liability or not the liability, but of the risk um, feels good to me. So that our, our decision-making has moved from a place of how does it feel and is it like emotionally driven and do I, do I want to do that? Does it seem fun to, will it be a good, you know, um, companion to the rest of our, our business and will it, will it make money? Um, will it, will it reduce labor or keep labor at the same level? And those kinds of like, like slightly more, um, I'm again looking for the right word, not tactile, real world, hard surface. I can't come up with the word right now. It's stuck somewhere in the back of my head, but um, those, those, say that again. Tangible. Tangible. Thank you. Those tangible things as opposed to feelings and ideas about like what our life could look like, which I think again is a, a lot of like new beginning younger farmers have that idea of a beautiful life. And that's definitely possible as a part of farming, but um, for me, a beautiful life now in, includes a little bit less farming, <laughs> a little bit more living uh, to complement my farming. Well, do you feel like that is, um, do you feel like that is a generational shift from previous farming generations? Know, where it's more about the lifestyle, a little less about whether you ever actually pay yourself. I'm also curious if you think as, as first-gen farmers, you are looking at things differently than, than folks who've done it for a long time in that you're looking to pay yourselves, you're making decisions around profitability and you're making decisions to have a life and that's not just on the farm or it's not just farming on the farm. You may have you may not leave the farm, but uh, but you have other things that you do and are interested in. Do you do you feel like that is a generational shift that is happening or has happened? Um, I think there it could be a generational shift. I think one generational difference is that when I look at you know the older farming families or people that have been farming for 
generations or the you know that category of folks that are farming around us their finances look very different um in that they didn't just purchase their land and didn't just invest in new tractors or barn or equipment and if they have, they have a different type of financial need than we do it uh, doesn't mean they need more or less money but um they're not servicing debt like yeah. we are for the most part i think if they don't have a mortgage or they you know aren't paying off a new tractor or whatever those costs are it they might be able to make less profit on their farming livelihood and squeak by um and that may or may not be true yeah it well it makes it feel less dire and i feel like that combo again i'm jumping in on you is this okay go for it okay um I feel like that combination of like less like, oh my God, we are not going to make the, mar the mortgage payment if we don't, you know, make a relatively large amount of money every month on a small piece of land, um, which is how I often feel our farm's very small too. And we're landlocked by second homeowners on every side. There's just like not access even to leasing more land around us. And so we're just kind of stuck with what we've got. Um, I feel like that can amp up the energy a lot in, in the necessity to make the farm work. And we've also got this shorter sample of um, what is normal on the farm. And so everything just feels more energetically intense. And I've noticed that the older farming families have a like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay until it's not. But it, there's, there's definitely a little bit more of the like, I don't have this huge debt to service the farm rolls on this, this, like this calm, this ability to be like, it's going to be okay. I can go to my kid's baseball game. It's going to be fine. At the same time, you hear a lot about like dairy families where the kids don't come back to the farm because they felt like they're, they missed out on a lot of their childhood. So there must be some flip side of that, of like feeling like the farm does eat up your life at least for some of those families. It's just an outsider perspective that it looks mm -hmm. calmer. So, and, and our normal, like as of now, what, like 25% of our years farming have been COVID pandemic and like that, what kind of normal yeah. is that? Yeah. So we call, like, I think our, our normal is rolling with the punches and being really adaptable and mm -hmm. flexible and open to change and some of that is like this enterprise didn't work out let's cut it out yeah we're not making money on that let's cut it out mm -hmm. and sometimes it's if we make this enterprise bigger then we can make more money on it or if we make it bigger we'll be in a different sort of category where it makes sense to have you know the infrastructure that will actually make it more efficient and easier on our bodies and something that we could potentially do for a longer period of time mm -hmm. without burning out or hurting ourselves or any number of other downsides. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's sort of interesting too. We had an, 
employee a couple of years ago who was so great. Um, and she kept asking every time we made some improvement like that, why didn't you do that before? And I kept being like, because we didn't have a million dollars all at once to do it. We had to like do it a little at a time and build up until it was time to, you know, buy whatever, put in the milking pipeline or get the sheep handling equipment or build the farm store, whatever it was. Like we couldn't just move to this land and pour money that we didn't have into it. It, it had to be a little bit, a little, you know, small steps of improvement. Um, but it, I found it really interesting to have this person from the outside just be like, why can't, why can't it just be the way that it should be right away? Like, so, so little understanding of, you know, the kind of money it takes to farm, the kind of money it has to access land. And I sort of wondered, you know, even being on our farm. And, and I wondered if it was more representative of how people see it from the outside. They don't see, I don't know, the kind of pressures that create your farm and create a system that works. They just see it in that moment and go, well, you could probably do that better, couldn't you? This is crazy. <laughs> Why are you doing it that way? I, I think there's a, also like a hindsight is 2020 kind of vibe in some of these things too, where where someone can come in and say, why didn't you do this? And you'd be like, well, six years ago, I didn't know that I was going to want to do this thing at all. So, um, so you could come in with all the money, put it in lots of places. And then in five or six or seven years, it might be just completely, you, you put them in the wrong place. You've done, you've invested in the wrong things. And yeah. And now, exactly. And now you're stuck doing a thing you maybe didn't want to do, but when you grow into it, then that's a different vibe. Yeah. Well, that's definitely part of like buying this property that didn't have any farm infrastructure or buildings. Um, we knew we wanted a barn, any barn really at that point, but we, <laughs> we knew we needed livestock housing and storage for equipment and feed and everything else but we needed to spend the time to understand this land and how it worked and where the weather came from and what the water did in the soil and mm -hmm. what made sense and how it made, like how we wanted to move animals and where we wanted to keep that. And like all these questions that we couldn't have known when we first got here. Yeah. Um, and so we made a series of hoop barns that we moved like every year or every other year or they got bigger or we added on to them or we they were they provided a lot of flexibility mm -hmm. um and uh, the ability to try things out in different configurations and then last year we actually built a barn that involved concrete and I feel like once there's concrete, it, like you don't change it. Mm -hmm. You can do some things different, but really it, it's there for a long time. Um, so it took seven years before we felt like we understood this property well enough and our business well enough mm -hmm. to know what we needed and wanted to spend the money on and to live with for the indefinite future. And that potentially someone else might live with when we're gone. <laughs> yeah. I would add to what the market wanted. Like, I think that when we first started farming, we were very 
influenced by a lot of the like farm for yourself, like farm to give yourself a beautiful experience, farm to give yourself exercise and fresh air and someone will come and buy it. Like that's like the, the, like Joel Salat and the whole thing, like the market's there, it's untapped, you know? And that's, I, I haven't personally found that that's true. And I think that our perspective on that has really shifted from doing this as a thing for our own pleasure and enjoyment to doing it as a community service and seeing farming as, you know, stewardship of land for our community and creation of food for our community. And, you know, it provides our, us and our employees jobs. Like there's a lot of benefit there, but it very much moved from the individual out into um, a much more communal approach. And we needed time for our business to sort of take form based on what there was demand for. Since we're selling direct to consumer, we needed to know how much milk we could move and how many CSA shares we could sell before committing to all of the infrastructure that would create that. And the things that we were doing seven years ago, are, look, our farm looks very different <laughs> for better. Like we started in, in niche meats and now our, we're primarily moving chicken and pork and beef. And then there's lamb and veal you know, and Thanksgiving turkeys, but um, those three were the ones that we were afraid that there were too many competitors selling direct to consumer and we couldn't make it. And it turns out that's what people want. So it's what we need to grow. It's why people are selling it. (laughs) People are selling it. If you were to make any recommendations to folks who are coming behind you or coming, you know, go back 10 years, um, how would you recommend somebody get started? Where would you, where would you recommend that they get started? I have opinions to you. I do, but I, I would love to hear yours. Okay. <laughs> um, first, I would really recommend that people um, brush up on business, like on being a business person. And if they don't know anything about that, do everything that they can to, to get their hands on that information or to get some training. Um, yeah, we, we focus so hard on the technical aspect of farming um, and, and all of the, you know, uh, people think that they can't, I don't know, that if they know how to grow a tomato, they know how to run a farm. <laughs> that kind of idea um, of just, just the technical knowledge is enough, I think. Uh, I know that messaging was really strong for me early on, and then it's like hitting a brick wall when you realize you you don't know how to make a budget or make budget projections or make a production plan and have that tie into what your cash flow is going to look like or i know that marketing is often like the final frontier for people people don't like learning how to market especially if you're coming into farming as like from a place that's not pro capitalism you you feel like you're tricking people or like you're doing something bad by marketing um learning how to embrace marketing as a way of telling people who you are and like what what you have um if you really believe that you have something that is beneficial but i think that that's that's first and then making good connections for those technical pieces is really vital but i think honestly i think it might come second for me if you're already starting thinking about a like if you're thinking about starting a firm you probably already have some of that you you have that rooted somewhere and i would say dollars to donuts you don't have the business piece yet 
and then get involved in the technical support that's available wherever you are. Vermont's really great. For that, we um, we did like a beginning farm program through raffle while it still existed. And then we transitioned right into farm viability. But I know that Nofus got like beginning farmer, journey farmer. And then I think that feeds really beautifully into farm viability here, but always having somebody to look over your books, look over what you're doing, look over your business plan or help you create a business plan. I think that kind of accountability was uh, invaluable for us. Like we, we worked with Jen Miller and I think years out now, we still can touch base and say, are we, are we doing something stupid, Jen? Will you, will you tell us straight? <laughs> Do we <Yeah>. need to <laughs> stop? And 100% she will tell us if we're doing something that's not smart. Um, yeah, I think that's my best advice. And I really wish somebody had told me that. And if I maybe would have listened to it, I'm not sure if I would have been receptive <laughs> or not, but I, I would hope that young me would have possible yeah uh, building on the first thing you said about uh education essentially mm -hmm. um i think that you have continued to look for information and education in all subjects that we have needed mm -hmm. and particularly the ones that you have interest in but those are you know like in the sciences mm -hmm. and coming from an art and education background, mm -hmm. you didn't have a basis in science. Yeah. And if you think you want to farm, even if you're doing hydroponics and you're not out on the land. Oh, you, it's extra, extra I know, if you're doing I know. hydroponics. Oh my but gosh. What I'm saying is science is very useful. It is really more useful. so than anybody might imagine. And I think it unlocks a huge wealth of uh, potential to really like springboard into next level farming yeah whether it's livestock or fruit and veg or whatever you're trying to grow if you understand like the magic and mystery that happens below ground or in plants or in mm -hmm. livestock it will like repay multi times over <laughs> multi times, multi times. Over. i love that uh, yeah i i will say that's true i went back and um started taking some classes because i felt really inadequate in my chemistry like in my agricultural chemistry especially in soil science info um and ended up getting a second degree which wasn't that many credits since i already had a degree so i went back for as close as i could to soil um to plant and soil science. I took most of those classes and ended up with a degree in um, food and farming systems. So some systems work too, but it, um, yeah, it made me feel like I could really get the best, like to do my best by this land and also get the most I could out of it in a commercial capacity while still being as regenerative as possible in my approach. Um, that That is like balancing on a pinhead on our land and yeah finding taking taking physics and statistics and organic chemistry it was painful but it it really paid off afterwards that was a good point i had forgotten that i had done that. <laughs> so 
my last question is for two people with art backgrounds, do you spend any time making art? Yes. Wow. Hot take. Tell Hot me take. more. <laughs> uh, I think that we both do a lot of work that is manual, like creative building handiwork. Um, not maybe not traditional art field work, but um, I do a lot of fiber arts work. My my degree was in in uh, painting and drawing was my focus, and then art education requires that you take all of the disciplines that are offered so that you can teach them proficiently. Um, and we had this discussion the other night with somebody that um, there's a a lot of in fine art school there's a lot of poo pooing of craft. Um, which I think is inherently misogynistic and um, sort of problematic in terms of class too. And uh, it took me a while after I got out to really sort of digest those ideas and recreate what, what was meaningful to me as a maker um, in my own life that, that wasn't based around those ideas. So like, I, I don't know, I do a bunch of like color work knitting. Oh, that's beautiful. I, uh, I'm going to ask for a picture of that so I can like add it to the show notes or something. <laughs> Send you some things. <laughs> Love um, it. Yeah, like uh, making that. But I also like try to, uh, I try to apply it in my farming. So like one year I planted a garden that was um, gradations of purple in a rainbow so that when Google Earth took pictures of it, there would be like a rainbow on our farm. Awesome. Um, yeah, like I had a, I always have a garden theme and last year was um, variegation and ruffles so that when you walk through everything, but I think that it has a wider application than, than just sort of like making visual arts and we both have that kind of outlet. Cool. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What are you going to say? You look like you've got words. In oh, I, I mean, I think that um, you like to get your hands dirty. I do. In dirt. And I like to, well, I don't like getting my hands dirty, but I like doing like handwork that is like mm. building things with tools and wood and metal mm -hmm. and like yeah, like we both do handwork in areas of the farm that are, some of them are directly farm related, some are like adjacent. Um, and the values that we bring to those areas, I think are like the aesthetics are really important to us. Mm -hmm. So if I'm building a door for a shed or a barn or whatever, I'm more inclined to take aesthetics into account and mm -hmm. build something that takes more time or a little more lumber, but feels pretty when I'm done or yeah. pushes me to do it in a way that I have to like be on my learning edge a bit and not for the sake of it being a better functioning door <laughs> um, but for the sake of like 
making it attractive or making it more fun in the making yeah um and more fun in the thing that we look at every time we walk by it yeah. i agree i think it's really interesting to see how we how both of us i don't know continue to be art school kids way 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 out of art school <laughs> yeah and i i also think like we you know, because we're both dancers and singers, we ended up on a folk circuit where we we host a bunch of things here, and that has felt really um, like enough for me too. Like in 2020, before in February of 2020, we had uh, I think like 35 concerts booked at the farm, um, and being around people that I don't know are artists in their own right or feels like enough of enough contact with that world for me. I totally get that. I feel like uh, COVID years are like dog years. So really you've been farming for what, 21 years now? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's aged us a little bit extra too. So the the stress of of the COVID pivot, uh, the constant COVID pivot is definitely. Not me. I my face has been covered so much that I have had less UV exposure. <laughs> and I think I'm actually looking younger now than I did before COVID. Wow. I'm just going to swan around a little bit. Now this is a podcast where you can see the Not a, a, useful glow. A vlog, a, a video podcast. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to actually talk to you in real life. This is right. Zoom, yeah. Zoom is real life. It's this really life. is at this point. It really is real life. <laughs> and not just hear you talking to other people yeah. in real life. Right, which is a whole different thing. Well, and I, I love using Chris's uh, screen because he has a curve. He has one monitor now, but he has a curved one. So it's actually like, oh, wow. yeah, it's a 24 inch monitor and it curves. So, so you guys don't know this, but you are life size. <laughs> right in my face and you were life-size I love that it feels like it's very like I'm not like hunched over my laptop like I would be it's like actually that's incredible anyway totally cutting that part out by the way as you probably guessed <laughs> or maybe you won't who knows who knows <laughs> Okay, so I didn't actually cut that last part out. I hope they forgive me. It was way just too much fun to talk about it. <laughs> At least I left it in. Um, so I really appreciated the way that they articulated some of the challenges like farmer burnout. And it just it came through so much how much they genuinely care for each other and the way that they work similarly and the way they work differently and how they are working on creating boundaries between their home and their farm life and I feel like there's a lot to learn from them and, and how healthy it is what they're doing. And I know, I know, I feel like I can learn a lot from them. So I make the assumption other folks do too. Um, so as we wrap up, I'd like to make an announcement about a couple of things I've been working on, um, that listeners and friends of the podcast might be interested in, or anyone who's interested in being a better farmer or a partner or just a happier human. (laughs) Um, One, I will be leading a three tips for better communication workshop on April 5th by Zoom. Um, 
So it'll be free. It'll be recorded for folks who are registered. Um, so you can rewatch it if you aren't able to make it live. Um, and the second thing is we are about a week away from the launch of my farmer success support hub um, on Patreon. So whether you're already farming or you have an interest in farming in the future or ranching, um, or you want to just sort of grow your own personal skill set, um, the Success Hub is going to be a go-to place for the human side of farm professional development. So we've got some great business folks out there in the world, um, and, and I'd really like to help support some of the, the people side of that. So every month um, in the hub, we'll be picking a new topic to dive into with a formal session. We'll do some discussions with other folks who are all sort of going through the same thing, learning the same things together. And, um, and on a monthly book, and we're going to be picking a monthly book that sort of takes us into a deep dive on that topic. So ideally, it's set up to be flexible for folks who have busier seasons and less busy seasons and busier months and less busy months. Um, and if there's a topic that you're really excited about, there's the opportunity to go a lot more deeply into it. So I'm, I'm really excited about the community that we're already creating, we've already been creating, and I hope that you'll join us because I think that the community will only get stronger with um, you. So you can sign up at the Choosing to Farm website, get on our newsletter um, list, get on our email list, and you'll get more details about the communications workshop, the Success Hub launch. Um, folks who are on the newsletter list are actually, or the mailing list are actually going to um, get access before others do. And um, yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being part of this. Thanks for helping me figure out ways to better help you guys. So that's all. And I hope you have a great week.